Welcome to The Jarek Show, featuring your hosts, Javad Malik and Eric Crone. Timely topics, poorly presented. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to The Jarek Show. As always, I am Javad Malik, and finally, my prayers have been answered. Eric cannot make it today, so I was going to replace him just with a photo of a potato. But then I thought, well, why don't we go out to our extensive security community and find someone who is far better looking than Eric, who is far more competent than Eric, and who can teach me and all of you a few things about security. So uh, I went and found Mr. Mohammed Al-Daub, who is a security researcher and professional from Kuwait. So uh, welcome to the show, Mohammed. Assalamu alaikum, uh, Jawad. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. I mean, thank you for, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, now I'm the second host instead of Eric, so I might as well welcome myself. Uh, uh, I wish uh, uh, Eric gets well and uh, joins you in future uh, uh, podcasts, uh, especially since uh, you're the mascot and you can't do it without Eric. <laughs> Last time I heard. <laughs> Oh man! See, this is this is a classic example of American propaganda reaching the Middle East, and uh, you know he's he's been telling you that I'm his mascot, and uh, okay, if you want to believe that, that's fine. So, so anyway, um, despite your your very very young looks, you have been working in security for quite a quite a while now. Um, so just give us a brief background, like who, how did you get into security, or what made you choose security as a profession? I, uh, uh, my experience in the uh, field of cybersecurity is almost 11 years. Uh, I worked in, uh, started working in Kuwait government, uh, and I uh, started to work fresh out of uh, graduation into the country's uh, uh, national authentication gateway project, uh, which was a government project in Kuwait to uh, utilize uh, 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 cryptography, smart card authentication, to enable uh, uh, citizens and people to log into online services using their uh, 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 smart cards, which contained uh, cryptographic keys. Uh, also be able to sign documents, sign contracts. Uh, uh, and that work extended to other fields of cybersecurity in terms of uh, bank question testing, security uh, 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 of applications, AVSEC. Uh, and then extended to the world of uh, cloud security. So now I'm fo focusing mostly on API and cloud security at the moment, especially uh, in terms of uh, application security and uh, in terms of cloud security, specializing in AWS uh, security. Oh, wow. So that's um, that's quite an interesting field. I don't, I don't think I've met many people that are such a specializer experts in API security, particularly around you know, cloud components and what have you. Um, I, I suppose, is, is there anything in, in that space that you feel that um, is lacking? Uh, because a lot of people, they just leave it to the cloud providers. They're like, well, if Amazon have this product, I just need to connect to it and, and leave it all to them to, to sort out. Um, is that something that you think that is a misconception? Do, do you wish more security people were heavily, more heavily involved? Or is it just a specialist field that you only need a few people? Well, it's uh, it's better job security for me if not, if uh, not everyone got involved in this. <laughs> but actually, if you if you think about it, uh, cloud security is all about API security because the way to talk to your cloud provider is through APIs. 
uh, what I'm talking about is actual production work in the cloud. So uh, in real uh, production environments, for example, using AWS, using Azure or Google Cloud environments, they don't really depend on employees or administrators going to the web UI of the cloud provider and then configuring things. They actually do it using APIs at scale, using automation. So API security and cloud security are very much uh, uh, integrated together. They're this, in, in the world of APIs, they're the same thing. Uh, 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 essentially. And uh, in terms of API security uh, itself, it's interesting because it links two worlds that, you know, for lack of a better word, hate each other. The front-end people hate the back-end technologies and the back-end people hate the front-end technologies. And what links them together is the uh, uh, world of APIs. So uh, front-end developers tend to sometimes misunderstand back-end technologies and Vice versa, backend developers or administrators tend to not very well understand the uh, front-end technologies. So the link between them, the API uh, world, uh, uh, would contain lots of confusions, uh, 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 wrong assumptions. And herein lies lots of vulnerabilities because of this, uh, let's say, layer of confusion between them. I think you make a really valid point there. And this is something that I think has been uh, the, the core of a lot of issues in security throughout the years. Even now you see some products that are out there on the market and they're like, well, this can do this for you, but they don't actually take into account the impact it has on everyone along the way, even to the end end user. So sometimes you'll see things like, uh, uh, I don't know, I, I mean, going back a few years before soft tokens, there was hardware tokens for all uh, MFA. And sometimes you'd, you'd have to carry about two or three of those around and so logging onto something was a real pain. And then if it, it was a shared admin account, then there was, you had to share the, the token as well. So there's a lot of impracticalities that sometimes uh, come into play when, when someone designs something in isolation. Um, now, now, speaking of API and cloud security, one story that was recently in the news and it's been making a lot of headlines is the, the breach or the exposure over at the new social media app that's been taking the world by storm. Uh, Clubhouse. Uh, and um, th there was like um, a lot of things. I mean, th there's a lot of privacy, obviously, issues around there because people are like, well, th these conversations were meant to be private and now they're not. And then other people are saying, well, if you're using a public platform, you shouldn't expect privacy. But putting privacy aside uh, from a security point of view and from an API point of view, you, you actually uh, shared with me. Uh, so let me just bring up the. Um, the uh, the the window, and um, if I can find the right tab, slow um, machine, I guess. Yeah, no, it's not. I'm on the wrong tab, aren't I? So, so this one, Daniel Sinclair, uh, he um, looked a bit at this. Um, you're far better at, at explaining this, so why don't you talk us through what's what's happening here in in Clubhouse in their in their API and. Um, you know, what, why this is such a mess. Okay, so this is a, a, a tweet, a, a Twitter thread by uh, Daniel Sinclair explaining the issues that were discussed in the Clubhouse ABI. Uh, of course, adding to your, uh, to your point, it is true that uh, even though Clubhouse would like to promote this as enabling both private and public communication, uh, it's just that difficult for me to guarantee it to someone that they can have a real private conversation in, 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 using uh, such an application because anything can be recorded. 
and the uh, the samples we've seen with people using or creating their own custom uh, uh, client uh, side application for club, for Clubhouse to record, for example, uh, the conversations and things like that. That's not the real issue, even though that's that's an issue that could happen in any application. You could talk to someone through WhatsApp, for example, and they, then they can just start recording the conversation. That's not the real issue. The real problem with the Clubhouse is that uh, the layers uh, of technologies used inside Clubhouse are so disjoint that it was really difficult for Clubhouse to integrate them securely together. What happened is that Clubhouse had their own internal application API uh, for user management. For example, someone registering, someone following, someone uh, logging in, logging out, uh, uh, following people, seeing your follower list, for example. That's the Clubhouse user management API. And then there's the actual voice call API that is uh, used for the actual conversations, the actual voice conversations happening in Clubhouse. That was used, uh, uh, that was, uh, uh, they used the Agora platform for the uh, voice APIs using the RTC technology, uh, real-time communication. Uh, uh, so uh, the Clubhouse application used the Agora API to utilize or to start these sound channels uh, or okay, I could say sound calls, uh, which are uh, essentially the channels or the rooms inside Clubhouse. So now we have two separate APIs, the Clubhouse API uh, for uh, user authentication, for user uh, actions, and then the Agora API for the actual data channels themselves. The problem is the connection between those, uh, the integration between those two APIs was not done correctly. So what happened is that you could uh, get a token for the Clubhouse from the Clubhouse uh, user API and a separate token from the Agora uh, 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 audio channel RTC uh, token. So the Agora channels using the RTC technology used for audio gave you a different token from the token by the Clubhouse user management API. And if you changed your user management state, for example, you joined a channel, you left a channel, uh, you logged off, or whatever, the Agora token itself is separate from the user token. So you could leave a channel and still obtain a token that allowed you to listen to that channel. Or if you've been given access to talk in a public channel, and then somebody removed that access from you so they sent you back to the listening uh, uh, row so you're not a speaker anymore the token you got from agora that allowed you to, to speak in the first place would still actually be active and would still allow you to talk so this this created some sort of a, a ghost speaker situation inside clubhouse you could if you get uh, promoted to talk and then someone took away that privilege from you the token that you have gotten from Agora RTC that allowed you to speak in the first place will still allow you to speak even though you were demoted by the channel owners. Uh, so normally you should not be able to speak anymore, but because you obtained this channel, you obtained this token, the Agora token, which is, as I said, disjoint from the Clubhouse API token, the Clubhouse user management API. Now you can use, use this one to talk or to listen to channels that you should have not been able to listen to or to, to be able to talk into in the first place. So that's the that's the uh, that's the uh, short explanation. Even though I made it longer than it should, uh, but the idea is uh, you have disjoint layers of technologies 
not talking to each other correctly, and that's the uh, the actual uh, fault that Clubhouse made. Right, right. So, is there a simple way to fix this? Is there a way to simply to to get the the two tokens to integrate uh, better with each other, or is it a, a complete rearchitect? Uh, the problem, I think, is Clubhouse depended uh, 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 a lot on the application, the client-side application, doing the correct actions. What I would have done instead uh, in, in place of Clubhouse is that I would have unified all of these tokens into a central token uh, retrieved by the Clubhouse ABI server. So the uh, actual client, the phone, the phone app, would uh, uh, receive uh, and would uh, utilize a single token. And in the back end of Clubhouse, I would do the management correctly of the Agora tokens and the rest of the uh, 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 ABI features inside Clubhouse ABI server, such as, for example, the management of the users, the management of who joins uh, a channel, who gets privilege to, to speak, and who gets demoted back. So the Clubhouse ABI server would handle that instead of depending on the client-side application to do that properly. Because if you read uh, the analysis, uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, points mentioned was that the uh, Clubhouse API server would send uh, a, a notification to the application to leave a room, for example. But the, the, the client-side application, especially if it's reverse engineered by someone, or they made a third-party client, can just simply reject that request and stay in the room uh, 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 entirely, not, not have to honor the, the, the leave request from the ABI server of Clubhouse. So that's one way I, I would solve it, centralized ABI management in terms of in the backend completely by Clubhouse, and the client side would only talk to one uh, uh, ABI source. Excellent. Thank you for that. And Clubhouse, if you're listening, you're welcome. I just got you a lot of free advice on how you can uh, fix your architecture and, and maybe some other, other platforms as well. So uh, let's move, move on from, from Clubhouse because I think that's uh, been done to yeah, quite a lot, saturated the market quite a lot recently. Um, there's this story that, that uh, we, we, you sent this to me, and this is from last year, but I think it's, uh, it's a really interesting one in the context of the, the topic that we're talking about today, API security and cloud security, and how, how, how they're so tied together. Um, and, and this is a blog uh, written by, by someone, Sam WCO, um, WCYO. Um, uh, and they have some examples of like, you know, API calls that they're examining that's going on within Starbucks. Uh, what, what's going on uh, with this story? So this, uh, this was research done by, uh, I think, uh, Sam Curry. I hope that's the way to pronounce the name correctly. Uh, what they found out was that <clears throat> Starbucks ABI was utilizing something that we can call uh, back, uh, backend for frontend which is a fancy word for a, a proxy. Essentially, it's an API proxy. So the ABI, the, the, the uh, Starbucks ABI, was sending these requests to this backend proxy, which would proxy that request back to an internal application server. So in, in, in the image that you're showing in, in the diagram here, uh, there is a, an internal network in, uh, <clears throat> in the middle, <clears throat> which is like the, the, the proxy line. 
which takes the URL that's being uh, proxied, and then depending on the URL, it will be able to direct the request to the correct backend ABI. Sort of like how we do it with Nginx, for example. So it's uh, it's a very, let's say, a standard way of redirecting uh, requests internally. The problem with this one was that the attacker was able to find a way to call another uh, another ABI by changing the, uh, the the URL of the backend itself. So instead of calling the regular backend, they were able to, to call and find the internal URL for a different uh, backend, which uh, they found uh, upon trying to uh, uh, guess different URLs, different paths, they found an internal ABI uh, that was being proxied, which sent them uh, to uh, a Microsoft Graph uh, uh, application endpoint, which allowed them to query, I think, more than 100 or almost 100 million Starbucks customers, production customers, Starbucks uh, customer addresses, uh, and be able to query them as if, if they were sitting in front of the database directly. So what was going on is that the proxying for the uh, backend ABI was done incorrectly. They found a way to traverse using path traversal, uh, traverse the backend uh, and go to a different backend than the one that was expected uh, by the developers of, of Starbucks. So that's, uh, remember when I said that uh, APIs link the backend and the front end, and in this integration, some confusion uh, happens, some wrong uh, assumptions occur. And this is just one example of that. The developers thought that the internal API was really uh, internal and really private and it was not be able was not supposed to be called from outside however the uh, researchers in this case were able to uh, utilize path traversal uh, tricks to uh, uh, switch to that internal api and then call it directly from the uh, from the front end uh, uh, endpoint yeah fascinating stuff once you start looking at all the APIs and, and and how they operate and and what have you. So, um, is, is there a, a quick fix for this kind of uh, routing error? Is it is it just can you uh, just put in a rule that that stops you uh, calling a, a, a different um, application? Well, it depends. Uh, if uh, if I were in, uh, in a place of Starbucks, I would say, do I need to have those internal APIs also exposed? Uh, for the proxy, or should the proxy be able to only proxy requests to other public ABIs? So that's when that's one way I would look at it. The other way is that I would try to fix the path traversal behavior in in, in my proxy itself, such that it cannot uh, allow someone to to traverse out of the path that was supposed to be set by the application. But of course, that's easier said than done because this is probably a legacy application with the. Uh, lots of uh, uh, difficult, uh, let's say, uh, uh, decisions made in the development and deployment. So it's not always easy to uh, 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 to unwind all of that mess and make it as straight through as you you would dream to have. Yeah, yeah. So so that that brings a, a really interesting question up, and just taking a, a little bit of a detour here. But um, like, it's very easy if you're a new company that's only ha ever had cloud applications and you've been born in the cloud, so to speak, that you um, you can architect things in a certain way and you can develop things in a certain way. But many organizations are old and they've got lots of legacy applications that they do need connecting through some sort of cloud interface in some way. Um, and they don't have the capability to bolt on a, you know certain things or, or they're too scared to make too many changes to it. 
Um, is there a just a general way that you found that works well, or are there some things that people trying to connect to legacy applications should bear in mind uh, that that will help them, you know, secure the process, or is it really a case by case basis on depending on the application? Of course, it definitely depends on the application because uh, lots of legacy applications nowadays actually have versions for the cloud. Uh, uh, so for example, things like Oracle, SAP, uh, some of these applications have actual uh, actual supported uh, uh, updated versions on the cloud. So someone could just simply use that. But of course, it depends on uh, uh, on the type of application or type of infrastructure. Uh, I would, uh, if you, if I was tasked with that. Hopefully, I will never be tasked with such a horrible task. But if I was ever tasked to do that, I would uh, try to do it manually, trying to start with the easiest stuff first. For example, uh, moving my services bit by bit until I can be sure that the migration has been done correctly. And uh, this is a chance uh, to say that not all applications, not all organizations actually do need to migrate to the cloud. It's The cloud is not for everyone if they don't understand it. What I'm trying to say is that if you use the cloud exactly like you used your regular infrastructure, then there's no point in going to the cloud. If you're using AWS or Azure just to rent VMs and run them separately without using any of the technologies of the cloud provider itself, then there's really no point to go to the cloud in the first place. You're just moving your VMs from your data center to, to AWS without utilizing any of the automated uh, uh, and uh, cloud native uh, features inside AWS or Azure or uh, another cloud provider. Uh, so the point is, it's not to move your work from the cloud, it's to re-architect it such that it works seamlessly with the cloud in a cloud native way. This is the only way for you to actually actually reduce costs in the cloud, actually make things easier, actually be able to handle and automate most of the boring stuff, most of the uh, needless, uh, busy work that we used to do in regular environments. Uh, one example of that, uh, one of the, uh, I've seen a use case for an, uh, a web application. It's a, <clears throat> a training company that used to have training about cloud topics. Uh, and I read that they're easy to, the monthly bill, EC2 servers is the virtual VMs, virtual servers of Amazon, uh, Amazon Cloud. So their EC2 monthly bill was uh, in the in the thousands, like uh, thirty thousand uh, US dollars, for example, every month because of they're running all of those VMs. So they decided to actually utilize cloud technologies of AWS. So they utilized and then they did uh, a migration to AWS Lambda, which is Amazon's function as a service. So instead of hosting full VMs inside Amazon, they cut their code bases into functions and then let Amazon deploy and serve these functions independently. They were able to reduce their bill from more than $30,000 per month to less than $1,000 per month. So that's, a, an, a, a, that's an amazing reduction in the bill. Of course, uh, it's also uh, it's uh, an increase in complexity. Lambda is not really easy to to work with uh, if you have a big number of Lambda functions. But it's a one trade-off that I'm sure many organizations are willing to take in terms of the cost. But that's one benefit you go from actually using the cloud the way it was meant to be used, not just taking your uh, metal servers and then replacing them with virtual servers in Amazon. That's not the way to utilize the cloud. Uh, even though there are benefits to that, you're missing 
more than 80 or 90% of the actual benefit that you could have achieved if you actually used the cloud native features in the cloud and the APIs of the cloud itself. Yeah, no, that that's a very valid point. And and actually, though, um, you know, even figuring out pricing on something like AWS is not not very straightforward. Uh, it, there there are people who are actually uh, cloud economists, for lack of a better term, who who actually spend a lot of time trying to work out uh, what the 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 prices offer. And, and because like everything's customizable, and there are so many different options. It can get overwhelming, and, and there are actually some companies like the one that comes to mind is where uh, Corey Quinn works. Um, Corey Quinn, yes, yeah, yes, Quinny uh, Quinny Pig on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's uh, it, 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 here. It is. I, I've got it. Um, it's the uh, uh, the Duckbill Group. The Duckbill Group. That's exactly it. This one, yes. So, so they, they their whole job is to uh, help help you understand. Your, your cloud consumption and um, you know get uh, you know reduce your bill I suppose is 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 the way to do it and, uh, and a complex world in, inside Amazon and and the billing system inside Amazon is the uh, is the most interconnected system inside Amazon so because it, it builds for everything uh, by the second by the hour uh, so understanding billing by Amazon is really complex really difficult. Uh, uh, and that's because the cloud is just so complex and it solves so many problems. But only if you can, uh, uh, let's say, accurately describe your problem and be able to understand what are the actual solutions and how they can benefit you uh, inside the cloud. Uh, uh, the same thing applies to uh, the uh, the issue of uh, API security. Lots of uh, problems occur because of the missed assumptions or misunderstandings that are happening in terms of the uh, cloud uh, uh, world. Uh, uh, so in the world of uh, uh, API security, for example, one of the main issues that uh, uh, developers or organizations face is how can they uh, uh, whether or not they are conforming to the standard correctly. For example, most APIs utilize the REST API uh, 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 standard, uh, uh, and uh, by trying to confirm to that standard, there are certain rules that you need to be able to, 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 to follow properly, and if you don't follow them, they're not actual rules, you know, more of a guideline, but if you don't follow the guideline correctly, uh, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't follow the, the guideline correctly, then you will not, uh, uh, you might uh, have issues where the assumptions are uh, uh, going against you. And I have an example here. I think I'm going to try to uh, share my screen mm -hmm. to show you the example. It was a really interesting example in, 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 uh, in Drupal. Let me just share my screen. So this is, where do I share? That's the then show up and then I could. Okay, so uh, where is it? So go. this vulnerability in Drupal. So Drupal was uh, is a, a, a is a PHP based uh, uh, CMS, and in the REST module, in their ABI REST module, uh, one of the functions that should have only received requests using POST or patch requests like the the verb get, post, uh, put, delete, patch. All of these have different meanings inside REST ABIs. So, for example, get should mean that you only read the data. You don't modify data. Post is used uh, to create uh, a new object. Put is to update an object fully. Patch 
to update an object partially delete to delete an object for example so in this case the rest abi module of uh, of uh, drupal cms uh, which is by is uh, enabled by default i think uh, uh, if you enable the rest module the abi module of it is is enabled so in this module they notice that there is a deserialization uh, vulnerability uh, however the be the best practice of uh, drupal uh, says that we don't need such features. You should just disable them or disable the uh, post and get uh, patch uh, verbs. However, the researcher found that you could still send a get request. However, you could also send a body in the get request. Now, normally, get requests should not be sent with a body. They should be sent with a, a query parameter only, like this one. So you put a body in the request when you send a post or, or, or patch uh, a request. You don't do that when you send a, a get request. However, what they found out was that the Drupal ABI accepted body uh, 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 request bodies in the, in the request, even though they're using get type a verb. So the researchers, upon doing uh, uh, more research, they found out that even though they can send unauthenticated GET requests, they can also they can send uh, payloads which contained serialized content. So they tried to use some uh, popular uh, PHP uh, uh, deserialization attack tool to generate uh, payloads for the deserialization, and then they sent it via GET request in the body of the request, which should not have been done in a get request in the first place. So Drupal should not accepted uh, uh, this behavior in a get request. Unfortunately, Drupal was vulnerable to this serialization uh, uh, vulnerability. And because it was sent in, uh, in a get request, not a post or patch request, it was not expected by the Drupal developers. So this type of uh, uh, assumption in the, uh, in the ABI resulted in this uh, uh, feature not being uh, properly analyzed. You remember how you read in history about a big city or a big fortress being lost or conquered because the invaders found a small, teeny, tiny hole in the wall somewhere, you know? Mm -hmm. that's, that's what happens when you don't standardize uh, your uh, applications and don't document everything in your application. That's what happens when you have uh, wrong assumptions and confusions in your, in your API layer. So the attackers find this small hole which, uh, through which they get through to your application uh, as the example I just uh, uh, showed, there is, also, there is also another example. I think it's also interesting. Let me share my screen again mm -hmm. and show you the the other example. I think it's uh, it's uh, this one. Yes, it's in a hacker one report. Uh, I think one of the application the applications Helium. So in Helium console, you could uh, query membership a group membership using their ID. For example, ID one, ID two. And then the researcher found out that they could uh, query or send the delete uh, request, uh, a delete uh, request in Burb Suite, for example. This is a delete request. So if you check the screenshot to the left here, a delete request is just like a get or put or, or patch request. The developers of the ABI did not expect a delete request to come at this endpoint, but the module for the REST uh, uh, framework and their application actually accepted the delete request and deleted the user uh, or the membership with the ID uh, explained or requested here in the request. So uh, another uh, instance of an API 
not really underst understanding all of its assumptions, all of its uh, uh, features that are enabled without them knowing about it. So that's one that's one uh, angle of of, of uh, the API security that people tend to ignore. That that is uh, truly fascinating stuff. Um, I've learned so much. So uh, if, if there's anyone out there who wants to take the first step to learning a bit more about API security, cloud security, um, whether they're completely new or whether they've been doing traditional security for a while, uh, what 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 would you recommend them uh, do? Well, other than sign up for one of your training courses, because you do, <laughs> do training courses as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let, let me just uh, pimp, pimp out. This is your GitHub page. Yes. And um, so you, you have some, some of your, your tools here. Uh, you, you have a training schedule, which you say needs to be updated. So, yeah, so. Yeah. yeah, because my next training is in in May in Black Hat Asia in Singapore. It's it's online virtual, but it's based on the time schedule, time zone of Singapore. So it's going to be in, uh, uh, I think May. Yes, May, I don't remember exactly which dates. So I'm gonna post it in my GitHub and my Twitter account. Uh, it's in Black Hat Asia training list, if someone is interested. Uh, and to your question, if someone wants to learn about API security. Now the problem is uh, API is not a separate world in or of itself. So if I wanted someone to learn learn properly, uh, properly about uh, uh, properly, sorry about mm -hmm. ABI security, I would say learn the technologies uh, uh, well that are being used inside APIs. So for example, learn uh, and uh, uh, especially how to use them security, the technologies that are used inside APIs for authentication authorization. For example, OAuth, uh, OAuth two. Uh, OIDC, the technologies used to perform authorization and identification of users, uh, and also learn about the uh, session handling and session management that are being used inside uh, APIs. Uh, for example, learn about JWT, what does it mean to use JWT, what is JWT, what are the problems with JWT, and especially, you know, the the the, the, uh, the topic of JWT is very interesting because uh, it is uh, almost, it is extremely difficult to understand JWT very well these days and try to distinguish the bad practices from the good practices. Also trying to distinguish the uh, bad theory in, in, in terms of the world of JWT. For example, the standard of JWT itself, if you follow it verbatim, you will uh, fall into security problems because, for example, the standard of JWT uh, mandates that you should allow uh, signing uh, uh, your tokens with an empty algorithm, which means it's like assigning a blank check. You don't have to sign anything. So this is one of the major problems in JWT. I think one of the main problems in uh, JWT, which of course stands for JSON Web Tokens, is that people think JWT is a, a session uh, management uh, technology of sorts or an authent authentication technology of sort. People say JWT versus cookies, for example. That's a wrong. Uh, uh, that's a wrong comparison. JWT is not, uh, uh, let's say, a, a authorization or a session technology at all. JWT is actually just a data format. So if I wanted to compare JWT, I would compare it with, for example, XML. So JWT has XML, uh, JWT signing encryption. XML has XML signing encryption. It's just a way to format data such that you can uh, uh, put your data inside it in a certain, a certain way. People use JWT uh, to put 
user data, for example, user sessions or user IDs, and then sign these uh, JWT tokens and then utilize that signed token because they uh, think that because it is signed by the server side, then it means that whatever inside it can be trusted. Of course, that's a, that's a, that's a problem uh, uh, if you think about what happens after you issue the session. You want to log someone out. So if you log someone out, how can you differentiate between that person's session and the other sessions for other users that were signed using the same key? How can you invalidate a certain session by itself? You cannot change the key because this will mean invalidation of all the currently logged in users. And if the logged in users know your address, they will come to your address very angry carrying pitchforks, right? Uh, so people would say, you know what? Okay, let's put a black box ABI for deleted or expired or uh, sorry, uh, 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 suspended, not, not suspended, uh, what was the word I'm going to say? Uh, rejected tokens. So uh, if I log out, they should try to invalidate my token, invalidated tokens. So put an ABI or put a database of sorts where you can just store the invalidated tokens inside it. And anytime someone logs in uh, or sends you a token, you try to look up the token. If you think about it, this is this, exactly the same thing as we were using with session IDs with cookies before. We were using a database to look up the sessions and then check the that the details of that session ID, if it is expired or not, which user does it belong to or not. So that's the same thing being done here if you if you think about it properly. So the problem is people started using JWT uh, thinking that it is uh, 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 comparable to cookies and sort, even though cookie is uh, just a special header in the browser and JWT is just a data format. So they are missing the actual problem itself. The actual problem is how can I put or create a proper session management system? In my opinion, a proper session management system should use uh, non-predictable random session IDs, and then you can put these session IDs in whatever format you want. You want to put the session ID in JWT or in a cookie or a separate header. It doesn't really matter as long as the session ID looks up a user properly on your backend system. Uh, that's the actual goal that you want to obtain because uh, one way or another, trying to put the, uh, the effort of... Uh, uh, Authenticating your users <clears throat> solely on JWT just because it can be signed is a, 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 is a great way for you to create lots of wrong assumptions, which will potentially result in lots of problems for you in terms of security down the road. So understand the technology as well, understand the limits of the technology that you want to use, understand how they get integrated into each other. Then it will be easier for you to understand how the components, like the mobile app, the uh, uh, single page application, <clears throat> talk to the API in the backend. And also APIs are not just client-to-server communication. They're also server-to-server -server communication. So a function on a server will call a function on, an, uh, on another server, for example, sending serialized objects. So that's a, that's a venue for uh, serialization attacks. Uh, uh, in other words, uh, in terms of the world of API security, always understand the technologies that are talking to each other, and always understand what are the expectations for each of these technologies and how they can be attacked from both sides, from the from the client side and the server side. That's, a, that's fantastic, wise words. I think that that that, that, that uh, mindset can be applied to, to any aspect of security, and it's one that I think that, especially people that are new to the field, they, they should really understand the words that you just said and, and hold on to it because a lot of it is about like looking at the interactions and just seeing like how can they be abused or what could go wrong or is this 
you know, what assumptions have we made and are, are those assumptions validated? And of course, document everything that you do. So it makes it easier for, for other colleagues when they come along and try to build on your work or, or integrate something with it. Um, this has been absolutely enlightening. This has been so wonderful. I just, you know, I, I, I just feel like I've got a free class on API security without paying for it. So that's a money saving tip, kids. If you don't want to pay for a course, uh, start a bill. <laughs> invite all the people who, who would run the course. <laughs> cool. And it's been, uh, you, you are far better looking and far more knowledgeable than Eric. So if he doesn't make a recovery, then you're more than welcome to come back every week and we can have the discussion. I'll be done with that. Uh, I'd, be, I'd be honored. And I also take this chance to again uh, wish uh, a quick recovery for Eric so that he may join you and, and bother you in, in the future podcasts uh, and put you in your right place as a mascot. <laughs> okay, so that's what I do. When people get annoying, I, I kick them out of the room. So thank you so much, Mohammed, brother. Jazakallah uh, for coming. Uh, thank you, everyone else, for, for being here. Uh, hopefully next week, Eric will be back. And uh, stay secure, my friends.